everyone. This is Sabritas on Nerdy Latinas Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Short Latina. Hi, everyone. So before we get started today, Short Latina and I wanted to take the time to thank you all so much for your support over these past few months. We are super grateful that we have over 2,200 downloads and we hope to keep on bringing you great content. Yes, thank you so much everyone for listening. We ask you to review us on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your messages. We appreciate the love. That helps us be seen and heard by many more people. And so we appreciate every review that you give us. <laughs> or criticism, we are open to both. Yes, we like to have a conversation. Feel free to send us also a message on Instagram if you have an opinion that you want to share. Yeah, we can have a conversation about your thoughts on any episode. We Absolutely. And with the holidays coming up, we really want to hear more from you. So we really do encourage you to send us a message on Anchor about your traditions during the holidays, whether it be Thanksgiving or Christmas. Be sure to let us know what your favorite holiday traditions are. Yeah, and we might play your message on our next episode. So for this episode, we got a chance to interview two lovely ladies, uh, one uh, being Ana Lidia Monaco. She is a writer, director, and producer of upcoming short film, Lola's Journey. We also got a chance to connect with Marlene, who plays Lola in the short film. We really enjoyed talking to them both. And here is Ana Lidia Monaco talking about Lola's Journey. I was actually going to film school when I developed the script and it was based off of a prompt that a professor um, gave us. And I don't necessarily remember what the prompt was, what the question was, but I do remember expressing how I felt when I personally was ignored by the doctors and had to have two different surgeries, um, one of which I almost died, actually. So I, I wrote a script, an outline, and then a script, and I'm a big researcher, and I believe in creating individual characters. So I did a lot of research with different women that had already experienced, or that had experienced weight bias or medical bias. So with their input and their insight and a lot of research, I created the character of Lola. It was initially inspired off of my experience, but then as I did further research and I spoke to more women and I learned what people had gone through, Lola's life came to be. The original script that I had in the very beginning, even the script that Marlene read um, when I first met her, was an entirely different script that than what we shot over the summer um, during Corona. Um, because through all the research, what I learned is that a lot of women just had to trust themselves. Had we trusted ourselves more than trusted a doctor or trusted a friend or trusted our family, we would have gone to the doctor a lot sooner. We would have advocated for ourselves to see a different doctor we would have you know questioned the medicine or the results that were given to us and that was literally across the board um, with all the women that i spoke to is that all of us believed in other people more than we believed in ourselves mm. so at the end of the day lola's journey became a, a, a film about self-love and self-advocacy you know marlene had to go there and it was a hard 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 role to cast even when I met her and I told her this, and I'm like, I've seen close to 200 people for this role. <laughs> like, 
like from all over the country, people were submitting their headshots, their bios, but no one was right until I met Marlene. I saw something in her. And once I found her, everything else fell into place. Like I got a producer, got, you know, her co-lead. I found like everything fell into place, even during COVID, because we shot the first weekend that LA opened up. We were the first production that opened up in Los Angeles. What do you think about Ana Lidia's portrayal of a character that is has the perfect life? Like she said, that there's nothing wrong with her life, but she just has pain and is being neglected by doctors. First and foremost, I would like to say that I think oftentimes it's overlooked how women, especially women of color, tell their stories. So what you're saying is that Lola's Journey, the type of film, is different from the ways that Latinas are usually portrayed? Yeah, I think it would go away from the traditional portrayals of Latina women. I recently saw an article about, you know, the smart Latina and how that character is has been portrayed time and time again. I mean, just thinking right off the top of my head, what's that Netflix series, One Day at a Time? You know, I'm trying to think of others because they're definitely are and you know you the typical latina role is you know the smart one the sassy one the smart mouth you know or the um, sexy one and oftentimes we're portrayed very limitedly and not given any opportunities to explore or mess up and i think that with this lola's journey I myself think it's really important to tell these stories about exploration, especially self-awareness, because oftentimes we're not given the time to really explore ourselves and listen to our, our bodies. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of characters that fit like this uh, Latina stereotype. And I think you're right. Like, when there's a Latina on screen, she has to be almost like Latina enough. And I'm thinking, I mean, and these are shows that I like. Yeah, we have like the smart Latina uh, from One Day at a Time. We have sexy Latina from, I'm thinking of like Sofia Vergara, right? Because she's yes. what, the number one highest paid woman in TV. That is insane. So I think that Lola's journey definitely plays against all of those stereotypes because everything is perfect in her life. Lola, for me, was a very particular and specific part of my life. You always think about the moment that makes you realize that you deserve better because you're awesome, you know? There's always that initial step. And until you get there, you lack that self-love. So you're going to try and find it in any other thing, especially if you are already dealing with the way that you see yourself and, and your weight. and how your body exists in this world. I think as women already, we're already hyper-criticized about our bodies, even from a really young age. And I grew up um, with a doctor at a young age also telling me that I should be losing weight or that where I fit on the BMI is technically considered obese. That does something along with the myriad of other things you have to deal with just being a woman, you know? And for me, what really resonated with Lola was that it takes you through everything that you went to up until the point that something clicks and you're like, I'm awesome, I'm good. Oh man, like I deserve better. I don't have to put up with this or I'm not honoring my feelings. And you have to hit that breaking point. For some of us, you know, it has to be like something drastic. And sometimes like in the story of Lola, it's gotta be something where your body is physically telling you to love yourself, to honor yourself. And I think that's what really stuck out to me. And I had to really work through getting back there because 
So I had to put myself in emotional space and I had to work through it. And this is why I love acting because you go back to, to areas in your life, you go back to other areas of your life to help you connect with the character. And then you find out that, oh, there's another thing here that I feel I need to heal. There's another uh, issue here that is triggering me in some way. And you dissect it again and through the artistry and through the production and through the character work and, and workshopping, you start to heal that part of you. So it's easier and, and more comfortable for you to go back. Um, so I had to keep remembering that because like Ana Lidia said, you know, I, I feel like I'm a very strong woman. I feel like I, I know who I am, you know, but it, it took me steps to get there. And I love that Lola brought that back for me. It made me realize, man, I, I've really come a long way. So it's always a good reminder. So that's why I just, I really love Lola. And I'm proud of her <laughs> as a character. So, and I'm honored to be playing her. What did you think about well, the trailer? I watched the trailer and I, I thought it was very... I resonated with it because there's this scene where Lola is running. She's really like trying to run up a hill and she's like, you know, hyperventilating. She has trouble breathing and I have asthma. So I know what that is like. And she seems to be having like being in pain and her friend, I think it's her friend or her family is like, come on, andale, like, come on. This is, you uh -huh. have to hurt. If you work out more, it'll, it'll be easier. And I remember running and like I remember being in pain and like I couldn't run anymore and if I pushed my body I could really damage it and so I think it also plays into what Analidia say, was saying about listening to your body not listening to family sometimes not listening to your friends to your partner they don't know your body like you do so I, I enjoy that part of that trailer do you think that families and friends and partners have a lot of influence on our body yeah absolutely and even just with that scene it reminds me of when I was younger and I would exercise excessively in the summers and I would exercise to the point where I was extremely exhausted and I would sit in front of the AC trying to catch my breath to answer your question I think my family and friends did have a role in why I was doing that. You know, I, I did feel a lot. I was at that time, I was going through puberty. And so I had lost a lot of weight. I was trying to stay quote unquote slimmer. And, and so I think that it was me falling into pressures, but my body, I just remember my heart beating so fast, feeling like I was about to pass out because I had taken it way too far. I think it's really it's really important to kind of connect those two dots, recognizing what role your friends and families have and the expectations you set for yourself. At that point, it became really unhealthy and toxic, right? And that's not to say that the next day I didn't do it again, but over time, I did come to realize that it was, I didn't feel stronger. I felt weaker. I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good about myself. And that's to say all based on pressures that I felt like I had to look a certain way because I get compliments when um, now that I look skinnier for my family and friends. And I wanted those compliments. And I seek, I really did seek that validation. I looked back at pictures from five years ago and I was like, oh my God, I look so good. What the fuck was I thinking? I was, part of me was like, annoyed because why couldn't I just like there's pictures of me that I'm just like why did I think I was fat or overweight or ugly I mean I've always been overweight according to the BMI but like my body dysmorphia just made me feel like unattractive and in whatever I wore um, and so do you look at pictures the same way and think 
the same way I do. Absolutely. I think that's really common too, where we always try to revert back to like, in high school, I used to be a size, whatever, you know, or, or when I was in my 20s, I used to like, I guess you were always skinnier at skinnier at one point. (laughs) That's all I have to say. No, but (laughs) I don't want to mention like weight, like I don't want to mention like sizes or actual weight, because it could be triggering to some. Because yeah, what yeah. I consider overweight to other people would be like, are you fucking kidding me? And so I think it's, it's relative to whatever, where, wherever in the journey that person is in their body uh, to, to self-love. But you know what's something that, and I'm just rambling at this point, but whatever. But I, I remember when I was in high school, and I'm mentioning it because it, it brought me to that. I remember talking to my friend one day. I was a freshman. And I was like, oh man, like, these jeans are so tight. Like, I think I should, you know, drop some pounds. Like every, my clothes are feeling really tight. And she's like, cause you're growing, you know, she was like, you know, your body's growing, right? It's supposed to grow. You're not like, maybe you're, you think you're gaining weight, but things are supposed to feel tighter. Uh, she's like, what was the last time you went shopping for clothes? And I was like, I don't know, like seventh grade. And she was like, yeah, you need to go buy more newer clothes. And to, when she said that, Part of my brain was like, are you fucking kidding me? You, you're saying it's normal for me to grow? To get bigger, yeah. To get bigger? I, that notion to me was so alien that no one had ever told me that it's okay to outgrow your clothes. As a daughter of immigrants, I love to hear the story that my dad would would share about his family, or my mother would tell about her family. I loved writing. I actually taught myself to write in English and Spanish before I hit five. When I went to preschool, I was already writing, and I was almost already reading in both languages. So it was a way to stay in touch with people that I loved. Stories about Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty while cute and all the stories about like horror characters or even superheroes, those never interested me. What really interested me was everyday things, you know, like how the girl met the boy and in spite of them being poor, like Nosotros Los Pobres, that movie, they were still in love. Things like that have always, always fascinated me. And then my dad being really into the arts, he actually was a Shakespearean actor and Gregorian singer, and he wrote music and traveled all over Mexico. He inspired me to look at music. And I'm literally saying look at music, because if you look at how music is written, there's a story. And he would tell me this is how a, a story is told in music through the cries of a violin like you would say a violin cries like who says that right mm-hmm. or going to a um to a museum like one of my first memories of going to a museum was with my dad and actually enjoying looking at a painting and learning how to read a painting and learning the stories and the symbolism through it all so as a child i was writing i was painting i was drawing I wrote my first play at the age of seven and I staged it in Guadalajara. <laughs> I was the director, right? And there's a video somewhere I was telling someone, I'm like, I want to see that video to see how horrible it was. 
<laughs> but it was always it was always part of my life like I don't remember ever having that moment of you know somebody's teaching me to do this it was just it was always part of something that I loved you know and it grew into a career even after I did marketing degree and I did PR for many years I mean people hired me as a storyteller and I don't know if Marlene is going to relate to this eventually you can't hold it back anymore this is who you are I needed to go to film school I needed to write I needed to direct I needed to focus just on storytelling but there isn't a specific moment where I can say like oh you know the La Mechita was encendida and this was the moment I realized I have to do it What inspires me about storytelling when it pertains to acting is that the body is like a, a pen, the way you would use a pen in writing. You know, you use your body to kind of speak the words through movement. And I always thought that presence was so important because I come from a huge family. My dad grew up poor in Mexico and he would sing even as like a little kid as young as like seven, eight years old for change, like uh, where we're from, Tecuala Nayarit. And he took that all the way up until he became um, an MC for a, we called it Club Social Acaponetense. And it's basically a social club of like all my deals who first came here and they brought all the Nayarit people that they knew in the community of Southgate and Huntington Park, you know, most of South Los Angeles. And they decided to make a club and they would raise funds and have these, you know, incredible banquets. And my dad would MC. And so I have this great example in watching my dad just command a room and the guy was like, like five six <laughs> you know he was a he was a shorter guy shorter man and he just had this way about him you know and I always thought wow my dad's awesome you know and as you grow up and you start to see like having a family having a big family there's characters all the people in my life are characters eventually as a writer too I, I always think about how to keep the person engaged while you get to the punchline and you know I think that that's why I went into comedy as well was because sometimes there's a long form of, of a joke and then sometimes there's just like the one-liners you know and like dissecting that that way of telling a story to me was just it's hard to do and it's also really magical because when you can have a room engaged they're there with you, they're, they're trusting you, you're taking them on a ride and you're gonna take them on a journey and you're gonna tell the story as colorful as you can, you know, and as heartfelt as you can. And then at the end, there's going to be this really good reward. And for that moment, those people are entranced and they're mesmerized and everything outside of that space doesn't matter, you know? And, and I love providing that type of healing for people, you know, especially when we think about the content that we're that we're performing. Sometimes you get to a point in your life where you're like, okay, everything without even trying is pushing me towards doing this thing that I meant to do. For me, you know, it, it took me a really long time to finally say, okay, I'm gonna start acting. If I thought, oh, it's a little too late now, or I have children, I'm married, like really, come on, what am I gonna do? You know, all this like, you know, imposter syndrome, self-doubt. Yeah. And then finally, 
you start to see that like things are falling together. My husband was just short of physically getting me out of the house and saying, go and do what you love. He enrolled me in a sketch writing class and was like, go, now you have to do it. Now you have, and I think that storytelling is one of, it's the most healing thing for everyone, regardless of what they decide to pursue in their life, because everyone has a story. Mm -hmm. So every story is, is valid and, and it matters and that you can, you can do so much with just one person's life. I think something also that I wanted to mention is that Lola's journey, you would think that her journey is to lose weight because of the trailer. A part of me was like, is her journey to lose weight? Her journey is not to lose weight. Her journey is not to um, fall in love or, you know, the typical narrative that you see mm -hmm. in, in movies where there's a female lead. Her journey is really to self-advocacy, like Anna, Anna, Lydia said, about, mm -hmm. you know, taking control um, and telling doctors that they're wrong, that she is still in pain and that it needs to be addressed the right way and that you know the bias over her weight judgment for her weight is not is not the reason she's in pain in reading about lola's journey i it reminded me of our podcast with sid just because we talked about western certain traditions of medicine and non-traditional non-traditional medicine and this the importance of a holistic approach you know looking beyond the numbers i'm not just my weight or what the scale says yeah absolutely listening to analidia and why she created this movie and wrote it in film school i think that's what makes a film great when you when you know it, it has that passion behind it and that personal experience that she can connect to it um you could definitely see that in the trailer but i think What really captivated me in the trailer and the story is uh, the performance by Marlene. She talks about how she connected to the character, right? How Marlene identified to the character of Lola's journey, how she herself had to remember about her own journey uh, to body acceptance, self-love. She considers herself self, uh, plus size. And, and I'm, I was trying to think of actresses that are main leads in movies or shows that are plus size or fat women. And I, I'm like, let me do a quick Google. Girl, you will not believe. You know who's considered fat? And this is by Mamas Latinas, which is a whole different layer, but they're considered fat. And one of them being Dasha Polanco. She's in uh, Orange is the New Black. Yes. Um, she's considered plus size and she's not, I mean, she's curvy, curvy but she's not. Uh, then we have Demi Lovato. That's in the list. Fucking <laughs> Demi Lovato. Also, can we just highlight how Demi Lovato was, has also been super open about her eating disorder? Yeah. She also suffered from a very difficult eating disorder. And I, I don't think they're pluses. I think they're a regular woman, average. Uh, Jeff, Jennifer Lopez is in this list. <laughs> Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. Bitch, you're lying. I am not. Christina Aguilera is in this list. Eva um, Mendes. What? At this point, they're just picking anyone. Sofia like, Vergara. They, I don't even think it's like a list. And America Ferreira. Oh my God. So these are considered curvy plus size women, 11 Latinas who have curves. That's just to show how problematic the film industry and the TV industry is that that's considered fat. When fat bodies are, honestly, I don't feel are being represented.
You know, not being represented, I think, going into this industry, it's your mission, whether you know it or not, you know, because what you may see it as, you know, I'm just trying to be an actor, you know, I'm just trying to be a storyteller, I'm trying to be a filmmaker, give me my, my due. But you, you have to work harder. You have to work harder. Your stuff has to be better. You have to overperform to get notice. And you may not realize that by you overperforming and your labor and your emotional labor, especially trying to break it in this industry is going to allow for others to not have to try so hard, whether you know that or not. And I think that, you know, I like to say that our existence is resistance. We're here. And whether we like it or not, we can succeed as much as we want. And we should, as you know, in those moments where you're like, ah, another audition where I need to, you know, play into my Latinidad or whatever, make a place. You know, if they're not inviting us to the table, make your own table. We do. Underestimate me because it's only going to motivate me more. Because mm -hmm. outperformance is is my way of life. It's my form of survival. It's my form of existence. It's, it's resiliency is in my blood. I talk a lot to my ancestors and I say, you know, you didn't survive and your resiliency is not going to exist in vain just because I'm like feeding into this narrative where I can only be you know, a sidekick. You know, I, I watch a lot of TV. I was a latchkey kid, so TV raised me, you know, Family Matters, um, Moving Color, <laughs> Chavo del Ocho, Chavo del Ocho, La India Maria, you know, Maria Elena Velasco, you know, she, she was La India Maria, you know, and yes, she was playing up these stereotypes of an indigenous woman, but she was also an indigenous woman on TV and, and producing this show, starring yeah. in the show, writing this show. This, mm -hmm. this like whole franchise that she, she made an empire off La India Maria. And she was one of the first, you know, Mexican women to own a production company in Mexico. Yeah. And I would watch her and I would be like, oh my God, this woman is so free. This woman is so, it, she, it just looked like utter freedom to watch her and, and just, it feels like she was playing. I was like, look at that woman just be free and play. And she's funny. And the show's dealt with corruption and the show's dealt with racism and classism and colorism and all these things. Like you, it, it was just such a powerful thing for me. And I love that I grew up on that because it, it brings me back to, my, to, to myself. You know, the impact of Lola just already being made, the, the impact of creating a movie that is in existence, that's gonna come out and women are gonna be able to see themselves in Lola. That's already an impact. What happens after that and whatever opportunities we get after that, we're building on that impact. Yeah, I have a lot of plans. I have a lot of plans. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're going to get done. They're going to get done. Somebody yeah. said, um, and I want to shout him out because I don't want to say this without like telling you who said it, but uh, Eli Vasquez is a motivational speaker. He says, who am I to not fulfill my ancestors' wildest dreams? Who am I? Like, why would I take that? That's not up to me to take it away. I'm already here. As long as I keep going, their dreams are fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And that to me was like, wow, I not only mm -hmm. have myself constantly working at encouraging myself, motivating myself, knowing mm -hmm. that I belong in, in these rooms and these spaces. I also have my family. I also have my extended family. And I also have ancestors. I have grandparents. You know, I have so much uplifting me, pushing me forward that kind of goes back to what we said before it will put you there whether you like it or not your destiny and your what you're meant to do is going to get done
Cabritas, how does the story of Lola's journey resonate with you or think will resonate with, uh, with our listeners? I think Lola's journey resonates with me because I myself, like everyone else, is, you know, on their own journey. And I think that it's really important. I feel like this is something we have touched upon frequently within our past few episodes is recognizing that you're in control of your life and you're the one who's ultimately going to make those decisions. And so while there may be expectations from friends and family, ultimately you have to listen to yourself and your body. And so it resonates with me because I myself am still on that journey. And I think it's really important to always be open to learning and growing. And I think that'll resonate with others too, because perhaps it will show them that they should be listening to their body more frequently. You know, sometimes when we try to push through those last three hours of work and not take a break, really taking the time to listen to your body and give it all the love and, and nourishment that it, that it needs. How does Lola's journey resonate with you? I think in the same way, I think I've listened to family all of my life critiquing my body, whether it was because I was considered too big for them or too skinny or too short, hence short Latina, um, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, be criticizing because I can't, uh, I don't run straight or I have glasses, just everything, right? There's always criticism about your body. And I think it wasn't until, like you said, I started listening to my body and the food that it wanted to eat and how it wanted to be seen and not be hidden, was I able to really empower myself? Because I don't know if you, uh, I can identify with the, this, but, um, or have seen it, but when I was younger, uh, when you had lonjas, you're supposed to hide them. Or like when yeah, I was like, a, under your jeans. <laughs> or like, yeah, or like, I was like, like if I, I looked heavier than usual, I was, they were like, oh, uh, or kind of cover yourself up mm. and so I grew up ashamed of my body for till now I mean sometimes I look at the mirror and I don't like what I see I'm still battling with that and so I try not to hide it uh, as much I try to show skin you know my arms my stretch marks like it's sad that I had to hide it for so long and so I guess I, it took me it has taken me a journey like Lola to really stop caring about what people think and what they say. I grew up here in, in San Fernando Valley, but I also lived in Mexico for five years and we would go back and forth like during the summer. I'm half white Latina and half brown. So whenever I would see somebody on TV that was blonde or blue eyed, my mom would be like, oh look, it looks like your grandma. Or, oh look, it looks your, like your uncle, you know, so-and-so. So everybody I saw in Anglo language or general market television or films, it looked like my family, but it only looked like half of my family. And I'm obviously two parts of my family. I'm my dad's daughter and my mother's mother. And then we would go in Mexico, most of the stories other than like India de Maria and Chavo del Ocho that was very comedic. There was very few shows that were more dramatic and that's also what what I was more interested in. So one of the, the films that really touched me was Nosotros los Pobres and Ustedes los Ricos. I never got to see that. And I also never got to see anybody that looked like me on, on television. Or, and if they were, it was always like in a very funny, kind of like not important sidekick kind of role. And I'm like, our stories matter. Everybody's stories matter. 
or it was very specific to a very small area of Los Angeles. And I'm like, wait, but I live in the Valley. Nobody talks about the Valley. You know, like this film was shot in the Valley, by the way, Lola, was without even realizing it. I'm like, I took it back. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to the Valley. Shout out to the Valley where I grew up. But I took it back to the valley. Like, why do we always have to be suffering? Why does my family have to be in a gang? Like, all those stories matter. But I felt like there was like a big part of of my family and the people that I knew that were not represented in English and were not represented in Spanish. So when I write, I'm not like, okay, I'm going to go against what the norm is. I mean, that that is never my intention. But it's always like, I'm going to write the stories that nobody has the courage to write about. You know, I'm gonna talk about the people that no one has the audacity to put at the forefront. Like how dare I put a plus size brown woman, all her curves in a gorgeous apartment with no other issues except for her own self-love in a film. Like how dare I? Couldn't, you know, her biggest issue be wanting to lose weight? (laughs) or making her the funny sidekick of, you know, of the skinny best friend. So I'm always pushing the boundaries because I also write TV and I also have like, you know, features as well. It's always like, let's push the boundaries. Like in my next feature, my lead character is a Latina, but she's not the most loving, wonderful, amazing, you know, pobrecita Latina. Like she does some nasty shit. Like why can't we push those boundaries? Like why can't we you know, have the anti-hero in our stories. Why can't we show some crazy, distraught Latina going after the people that hurt her? Like, why not? Why can't we go there? Why, why can't yeah. we explore, like, the craziness that we all have within us? Why can't we, you know, discuss that we're not one big happy family all the time? I'm not mm-hmm. close to all my family. Like, it's okay to talk about that. It's okay to talk about how different we are. Like, and I love pushing that. And I mm-hmm. love exploring it and taking it further because we're not a monolith. Our stories are not all the same and they shouldn't be all the same. If you look at what film festivals are looking for, and this is one thing I told Marlene, why I don't submit to certain festivals is because it's expensive to submit and I'm not going to waste my money going to a festival that I know they're going to be like, wait a second, this is not a story about this. So where does this fit in? And so even within our own community, we, we are struggling to figure out what Latinidad means to all of us mm. and each of us individually choosing the struggle of being an artist because it is a struggle and it is very expensive and I don't want people to think like you just want to be an artist and that's it just do it right and the and the money will come because it's not so it is a privilege and it is an honor to pursue something that you so strongly believe in but by doing so it's also not easy it's not an easy road financially and it's not an easy road within our own community within our own family within you know people outside of the community i am changing a narrative that's a huge responsibility huge which means that initially a lot of people may not like what i show they may not like that you know i chose to tell a very specific narrative but because i'm doing that i'm reaching with a much broader audience 
And that's what I want to do. I want to change how society sees us and how we see ourselves. I'm very intentional in the worlds that I create, uh, which somebody asked me like, wait, like, so is your stuff Latino or is it black? Like, what is it? <laughs> and I said, it's actually multicultural like Los Angeles. amazing wonderful supporter just like Marlene's husband too like I wouldn't have gone to film school and left my career had it not been for him and my friends my niece and my nephew nine and eleven year olds they are literally the only people in my entire family that have seen the trailer to my film no one has ever contributed to any of my films um, nobody went to my graduation other than one brother and my mother um, nobody has read any of my articles because I'm also a copywriter and I've written for many, many, many years. They are not supportive. It's really hard, especially when you hear like, oh, these Latinos are so supportive. Families are so wonderful. I'm like, no, not my family. However, one of my cousins allowed us to use the, the farmer's market where we shot one of the scenes in, for Lola's journey. And one of the things that he told me also was, I think her family is not supportive because we went outside of what is comfortable for them. And we did imagine an owner of a farmer's market. That's him, you know, and then there's me, you know, this crazy curly haired woman that left a very like sophisticated corporate job. So my family's not supportive. They may become supportive later, but as of right now, I really, honestly, I don't even count on them, which, which is fine. I count on my community. You know, the reason Lola happened is because of my community, it wouldn't, we raised all the money through my community. That's, craziness like during a pandemic never in my dreams that i think i would be able to raise eighteen thousand dollars in less than five months for a film wow. i want to end with movies that have inspired us where we have seen ourselves as brown women as latina women as, as a fat woman i can think of a film where i feel represented yeah Good grief. That's a good question. I don't think <laughs> I have. My follow-up question would be, what would be the story will resonate with your life? What would you like to see? I would like to tell my story. Hell yeah, I would like to see myself on that screen. And I know that sounds very narcissistic. You want to be famous? I mean, it doesn't have to be me. Honestly, you know what I just want? I just want to see a girl from Little Village, like from the South Side, specifically Little Village the story of my community, either a first generation or even my mom's story, an immigrant story about building a family, uprooting from the rancho and, and taking that leap of faith. I, I would appreciate more exposure to the immigrant life and and the day-to-day -day of that. I don't, and I wouldn't even want that story to be traditional where it, I would want to be one of those bogus films with a cliffhanger <laughs> that just like, yeah, I'm going to do y'all dirty. I mean, it's going to be an amazing movie and then it's just going to stop and people are gonna be like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's all you get. I feel like I would be emotionally constipated. I need to know what happened. What story would you want to see on screen? I mean, well, first I'll answer the first question of where I've felt seen. And okay. Only, I think uh, Real Women Have Curves was the first movie where I felt like I wasn't alone as a brown Latina woman dealing with her body, um, with, with the changes of her body, 
through puberty, dating and the conflict of family and leaving home and going off to college. That was the first movie and only movie where I felt seen completely. I don't know. I love that movie. Um, and the second way would be the book, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And it's a book. I have felt more seen. That's books. cheating. Well, That's no. cheating. Well, it's going to no. be a movie though. It's going to be a movie. And it was a play. No, and I saw it. Hold on. And I saw it as a you play. You saw the play, bitch? Yes, I did. Before did it was You whore. I'm so jealous. My partner got us tickets, uh, and it was the last show. We caught the last show before it closed. You dumb whore. What, what would you like to see on screen? What story would you tell on screen? Honestly, I would want to see a comedy. We need a fucking comedy. There is too much trauma porn with our stories. Um, of us crossing the border, of us struggling. It's it's not that it's the same story being told, but it's the same tone. I don't know. I don't know if that explains it, but I think I want to see a comedy. I want to see a crazy ass family um, that maybe faces uh, you know adversity, but you know with humor, that's how they confront life, and that's exactly what we do as Latinos. We laugh about everything. <laughs> We have, yes, we have a good sense of humor. Like I want to see a movie and here's the thing. I want to see a movie in English. That is a comedy that portrays a Mexican or Latina family, because here's the, here's the thing. The Mexican cinema and the films from Latin America are amazing. They're some of the best movies I have ever seen. I agree. There's a lot of Latin American movies and Mexican movies where I feel represented in the story, but not like uh, the majority of the films from Mexico right now portray a blonde, blue-eyed, white woman and no one's fat. So I guess I don't see, I, I guess I don't see myself see, I don't feel seen in Mexico or here. I guess that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> you went from. I sure did. I sure did. I just want to see a comedy. I want to see a comedy in English about a Mexican family. And I want to see it in Spanglish. You know, I, the comedy that comes to mind is that one with Eugenio Derbez, the one with that little blonde girl, the oh, daughter. She creeped me out, though. Those dentures. She you out? Did you know she had dentures? <laughs> she has dentures? Yeah, look at it again. You'll, you won't be able to unsee it. I fucking hate you. <laughs> you always like, ruining shit for me, sure, Latina. You're always ruining shit. It was first Lion King, now this, and I can't stand you. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I cried that movie. But again, that little girl, why is she blonde? True. All I'm going to say is that the genetics didn't really align in that movie. No, they sure didn't. They got the, I bet that girl is daughter of some executive in Televisa. I'm the. <laughs> anyway, we end with this. Neither Sabritas nor I feel seen, and we hope you will all check out Lola's Journey. If you guys want to contribute to the Lola's Journey and any work that Anna, Lydia Monaco, and Marlene have going on, please check it out. We'll leave it in the description for you guys. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. My family was my first audience. We are very, very close. Anything I did when I was growing up that even remotely resembled my dad, they would be like, ay, ya se cuenta el Alejandro, you know? So they were already kind of looking at my brothers and sister and I like, you guys are gonna be 
just like Alejandro's. Once my cousin, whose family was a little better off, got a camcorder in the 90s, it was over. And you are going to play the bouncer at a club, like these ridiculous stories, you know? So they were my first production team, you know? They were my first inspiration to start writing. And my aunt, I don't know if she probably is forgetting or she probably is intentionally telling me every time I see her, like, ay, hija, que gusto me da verte cuando te estoy tomando cafecito y te veo vendiendo cafecito. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Like that to me warms my heart, you know? I love that they validate all the things that I am doing, you know, and they still encourage me. You know, I have a cousin who, me da mucha carrilla, and he's the cousin that's like, well, what else are you going to do? Well, you did this, well, what's next, you know? <laughs> doesn't do it as like, a, well, you think you're all bad, low key, it kind of is, because that's just how we get along. <laughs> but, you know, in a Mexican household, uh, carrilla is, is like, it's love. It's the way we show love. So when they know that I'm between projects, they're like, what happened? I thought you had all this stuff. What are you going to do next? You know? And I'm like, ooh, you know, I better prepare for this next audition, you know, because they hold me accountable, you know? It's awesome. I didn't really start doing it until I found a partner who yeah. was like, you love to do this. I met you doing yeah. this. You've done this since you were a kid. We got to bring you back to that. As a mother, as a plus size woman or as, okay. as a fat person, you know, I walk around and I've had to develop this confidence. And once I found it, I mean, it was just over for everybody. Once I got just a little taste again, because it had been six years since I had hit the stage. So the first time I came back to acting was a lead role in a play, uh, Miss East LA. And I was just like, what am I doing? How yeah. did I, and like I said, I had the biggest panic attack because I had told myself, it's over. That's it. Yes, it's a buen tren, you know? Yeah. And it's like, no, once I got a taste of that spotlight, that energy in the room, collective meditation state, it was over. Yeah. I was like, this is what I'm going to yeah. do. You know, my family low-key was like, damn, finally, you know? <laughs> so they went to go see me. They, I mean, they came deep to this little community theater that housed like seven, it was like a 70 seat theater. It, it was such a small production. There was a liquor store next door and we could hear like, you know, when somebody would walk in <laughs> in the faint distance, but everyone was there with me. Everyone was there with that story. That to me is like so awesome, you know? And to have my family be there. And I want my daughters to be like, this is what I love to do. I want to do it. You know, I'm the first generation uh, Chicana. So my parents as immigrants, they had to make sacrifices just to exist in this country, aside from the yeah. ones that they did in deciding to, to cross, you know? Yeah. And that type of upbringing is projected on us. Okay, well, I have to work extra hard and, and I do. Yeah. But once you get to a certain point in your life where you're like, oh, I, I meant to do more. And then things just kind of start happening. were we recording i don't think we were recording i just accepted we hope you enjoyed this episode of nerdy latinas podcast please share us review us and send us a voice message we'd love to hear from you we'd also like to thank our guests and madera once for allowing us to use their beautiful music for this episode please join us in the next episode of nerdy latinas podcast 
blah, blah, blah. Okay.